Well, God bless you. Welcome to the Wonderful Words of Life radio program. We will be in Revelation chapter 3, the first six verses, and we'll be looking at the church at Sardis and to see what Jesus has to say uh, to this church and also what Jesus has to say to us today. Well, let's go ahead and pray. We'll get right into the Word of God. Father, we're so thankful today for your Word. Now, Lord, uh, we receive your word with all readiness of heart and mind. Speak to us, Holy Spirit, through the word of God, and we'll give you praise, honor, and glory for that. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> and unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, which thou livest, and art dead. Be watchful, and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. But I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Amen. All right, let's look at a brief history of the city of Sardis. Now, this city is an ancient city. It was founded about 1200 B.C. and was first inhabited by the Lydians, which chose the city as its capital of their empire. And the city was located inland from the Aegean Sea, about 50 miles east of Smyrna. And this city was situated south of the Hermas River, and the city was sequentially occupied by the first by the Lydians, then the Persians, then the Greeks, and then Rome and its dominance over the ancient world. Uh, the strength of the city was built upon a plateau, a well naturally fortified position on three of its sides with tall, nearly perpendicular walls that were impossible to climb. And the wealth of the city was in its commerce and its manufacturing industries. Uh, the discovery of gold in the nearby sand beds of the river Pactolus enriched the city. And the most famous king of Lydia was Croesus, and he was enriched through this discovery, so much so that it was said of him that he was the wealthiest man in the ancient world. Now, in 189 B.C., Sardis came under the rule of the Roman Empire, and Ruins of a great temple dedicated to the Greek god Artemis, which the Romans called Diana, was discovered, which was 327 feet long and 163 feet wide. There were also the remains of a theater and a stadium that was a thousand feet long. And so this city at this time uh, of the writing of this letter estimated population was around 50,000 people. And it was during the Roman Empire that Sardis became a very important Christian center early in the first century. However, uh, 
No church other than the church at Laodicea was so severely rebuked by the Lord Jesus than the church at Sardis. And we're talking about before the closing of the first century. So we're talking about perhaps 30 years, maybe 40 years since uh, Christ was preached in this city and a church was established. So that's important. That was less than a generation. Now, let's just go ahead and get right into the word of God. Ephesians chapter three, beginning in verse one. Unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and are dead. Now, I do agree that this work uh, should have been and should be addressed to the bishop. Uh, when Jesus said unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, uh, the bishop could be because he is uh, the head of this church. And the churches in this time, they had no building to meet in. And this was not until later in the fourth century. So the church was comprised of house churches and each church having a leader and an under shepherd with all of the house churches under the head of a bishop. So we could say it this way, unto the bishop of the church in Sardis, right. Now, I know that's a play on words, but we're going to stay with the word of God. Unto the angel of the church in Sardis, right. So Jesus describes himself as the one who has the seven spirits of God. Uh, we would say today the sevenfold Holy Spirit. And the seven spirits of God describes the Holy Spirit in his perfection as the third person of the Godhead. So whenever in Scripture the number seven is in conjunction with the church, it speaks to us of our completion or our completeness in Christ. But when the number seven is mentioned in conjunction with the Godhead, it speaks to us of the perfection of God. God is perfect. Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Amen. And that perfection can only, only be won through Christ Jesus. Now, the Lord also says that he has the seven spirits in his hand. And, of course, the seven, I mean, the seven stars in his hand. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the word angels is the Greek word angelos, and it describes or is defined as an angel or as a messenger. And there are a few translations that use messenger in the place of angel. Jesus is communicating primarily to the angel of each church the messengers who are going to take these letters back to the churches. Now, how this was done, Scripture doesn't say. If these letters were given to human messengers, as in the case of Phoebe uh, delivering a, church, a letter in person from Paul to the church at Rome, then the explanation is self-explanatory. If the angels were members of the angelic host, well, then this explanation becomes more supernatural. It was the angels of the churches, doesn't matter by whether a human or supernatural, part of the angelic host, the angels of the churches were charged with the delivery of these letters to the seven churches. So we see now the supernatural aspect of, uh, of Revelations chapter 2 and chapter 3. Jesus says in his letter that he knows their works. But what works, he doesn't mention. The fact that the Lord mentions 
that he knows the works of this church does speak to us that there was some good being done by the church of Sardis. But then the Lord says afterward, but you have a name that you live as you live by. We could say it this way, but you're dead. To live or livest in the Greek is the word zeus, and it means to be vibrant of spiritual life, bringing forth fruit. But Jesus says you're dead. So that means to me that the church thought that they were alive, but Jesus says, no, you're not alive, you're dead. They may have thought that their church is full of life, but in reality, there was no spiritual life in that church at all. They were void of spiritual life. And then Jesus says, this, you have a name that you are living by. But as ambassadors for Christ, that name, it, it, you're, you're, what you're living by is in name only. Let me put it that way. So verse two, be watchful. And strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. There's only one time in my Christian life that I've ever been in a church that I did not at all sense the presence of God. And that's a very chilling thing. And the issue and the, the problem and what grieved me was that that church was half full of people. And yet they didn't even know that the Spirit of God was absent? That's religion, folks. That's not Christ. If you're wrong and you're a born-again believer, you know you're wrong. You can tell. And if you walk into a church service and something is not right and you're a born-again child of God and you have the Spirit of God, uh, you know it. So the word watchful in this verse now, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain. The word watchful means to be awake. So the city of Sardis, now just use this for an example. The city of Sardis, Sardis was impregnable on three sides of the city. The fourth side required guards or lookouts to make sure that in a surprise attack by an enemy, the city was not invaded. And twice in the history of this city, guards that were supposed to be on the lookout were either asleep or they were otherwise neglectful of their duty, doing something else they weren't supposed to be doing. And during this time, the city was breached by an enemy. So when Jesus says to watch, it's a metaphor for being watchful and alert in prayer. And he's warning the church not to allow the enemy of the church to gain entry, which he has already. So in many places in the New Testament scriptures, there's an exhortation to watch. Paul, in writing to the Corinthian church, says, watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit ye like men, be strong. And he said this to the Hebrew Christians, see that you refuse not him that speaks, for that if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. And turning away is a very important uh, phrase, and we'll, we'll see this as the teaching goes on. So even though the church was destitute of spiritual life, the church was still existing, which means that there were those, some in the church that still had spiritual life. There were those that that were not dead. 
there were those that were still remaining in life. But even this little bit of life was going out. And so Jesus is exhorting the church to strengthen the things which remain. Those in the church who were not dead, Jesus exhorts to strengthen themselves by seeking for renewal and spiritual refreshing. Now, the leadership of this church, they were dead. But those who were not did not have to die. All they had to do was strengthen. And that word strengthen means to set fast, to renew, to invigorate, put some resolve into what little vigor they had left because what little life they did possess was about to perish. And what what does this mean? This means that the light of their candlestick was about to go out. And Jesus described this spiritual condition to the Pharisees of his day. They were dead men walking. Notice what Jesus says. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are like unto whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Now, verse 3. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. In other words, this church, they were no longer looking up. A few were, but for the most part, the leadership of the church, they were no longer looking up. They were looking to the left and to the right. And Jesus says to look up, for that's where your redemption draws from. So Jesus is telling the church to remember how thou hast received and heard. We could say it this way. Go back to what you heard and believed at the very first. And Paul was telling to the church, telling the church, therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed. He was talking to the Hebrew Christians. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed, the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest in any time we should let them slip. And see, this is why it's so vital for believers then and today never abandon the reading and the meditating of the Word of God. There's so many in the church that no longer read the Word of God. And if they're not reading the Word, they're not meditating the Word. And Paul wrote to Timothy and he said this to him. Till I come, and we could say this is Jesus talking to the church today. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them that that our profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. Now listen to this. For in doing this, you shall both save yourself and them that hear thee. See, this is something that the that the church, the leadership of the church at Sardis was not doing. And I guarantee you, there's a lot of churches across this nation. The leaders are not doing this. They're not giving themselves wholly to the doctrine of the word of God. So Jesus said to the church, hold fast and repent. Now, the, the term hold fast means to hold on to what you have. To that which you first received from Christ by faith. 
They were to repent, meaning they were to change their mind. They were to turn around and they were to head back to the way they were going at the very beginning of their faith journey in Christ Jesus. And see, just like the church at Ephesus, they were letting things slip away. And like so many in the church today, they're sliding away. They're letting the things that they had gained at one time slip away from them, sliding away into apostasy. And for many, they don't realize it. I know I didn't. I didn't realize how far I had slipped away from the Lord. So the church at Sardis thought that they were alive, but in reality, they were dead. And then Jesus says again to them, if therefore you will not watch, I will come upon thee as a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come upon you. So just as the guards who failed to keep watch over the city of Sardis to prevent a breach of its fortifications, fortifications, so the church of Sardis was asleep and they were not alert or on guard, on guard against all the plots, schemes, and the devices of the enemy, the devil. And failing to watch, the Lord said that he would come upon them as a thief in the night, and they would be unprepared for his coming. This is why we believe in the doctrine of eminence. This is why we believe in continuing to look up. Now, verse 4, Jesus says this, Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. So there's also always the faithful remnant. In whatever church there is in America, there's always a faithful remnant that have not defiled their garments. And because these few were enduring and faithful, the Lord said to them, they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. To walk in white symbolizes the righteousness of God. So it's Christ who makes us worthy. But we also must walk as he would have us to walk. Paul said it this way, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. And Paul, in writing to the Romans, said this, Let us walk honestly, as in the day, not in rioting and in drunkenness, not in chambering or wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. And Paul, again, in writing to the church at Colossae, says that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which, had a, which hath made us meet or able to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Now, verse five, he that overcomes, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. So to be clothed in white raiment speaks to us of being clothed in the righteousness of God, which every true believer is clothed in. And the Lord also said he would not blot his name out of the book of life. Every person who has accepted Christ as Savior 
and has made confession of him in public. His name has been entered into the book of life. And there is no sin committed that would warrant a person's name from being blotted out of that book, except for one, and that is apostasy. The Jews were warned that they would lose what they had gained in Christ if they willingly, now willingly, we're talking about as a matter of a person's will, turned their back on Christ after having received him as their Messiah. And Paul wrote to them and said this, he says, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world have come, if they shall fall away to renew them. Notice it says, if they shall fall away. Doesn't say they would, just says if. John said it this way. He said, these things I have written unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. And Paul says here, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinks in the rain that comes oft upon it and brings forth herbs, meat for them by whom it is dressed, receives blessing from God. But that which bears thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh unto cursing whose end is to be burned. So bearing thorns and briars speaks of apostasy, turning our back on Christ and walking with him no more. I know this to be true. Because I myself at one time was in a backslidden state many years ago. I wanted to pursue sin and I was willing to throw everything away to have my way. But I knew I'd come up to a line, a point of no return. And if I crossed that line, there'd be no way for me to get back. And this prospect, this prospect so scared me that I ran from that place and in a short time later repented of sin and asked the Lord to forgive me. And the Lord healed me of backsliding and set me free. Every child of God who has the witness of the new birth in himself will not be lost. Let me say it again. Every child of God who has the witness of the new birth in himself will not be lost. And there are those who, from all appearances, seem to be genuine in their devotion to Christ, but who will in the end fail to endure. They'll apostatize, they'll turn their backs on Christ, and they'll walk with him no more. And as a result, they're going to suffer eternal punishment. We have examples in the Bible. Judas Iscariot, he was one of the 12. He apostatized. And also the 70 who walked with Christ at one time, but they turned their backs on him. Jesus said to all of us who believe throughout all ages, he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. And he also said this, I will confess to those who believe, I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. And he said, whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I also confess before my father, which is in heaven. And Jesus also said, and Luke records this, that also these who remain faithful and confess his name, confess the name of the Lord Jesus, endure to the end, Christ said, I will also confess him before all the angels. 
So we, as the children of God, we have the assurance that even though we're not perfect, we are secure in the Father's hand. We will be perfect. Amen. (laughs) Praise God. But now we walk by faith and we do do not walk by sight. And then verse 6, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now this statement is made to each of the seven churches. And it means for the churches to listen to what the Spirit is saying. It's the Spirit of God, the same kind of comforter that the Lord was to his own while he walked on the face of the earth. He's the comforter, the same kind of comfort to us. He communicates to each one of God's children. He helps them. He serves the church as their advocate, their strengthener, their counselor, their intercessor, their standby. And if the church will listen to him, they will overcome all that they are confronted with and they will always find the strength to endure unto the end. Amen. Praise God. So what's the message of Sardis to us today? And that is this, that a church that ceases to pray ceases to live. All that the church at Sardis had was a name, nothing else. They neglected the admonishments of the apostles, the prophets, the teachers, and the body of Christ to pray without ceasing and to continue in prayer. And there are churches today, they no longer have prayer meetings. They don't have prayer meetings at all. They, we used to have a weekly midweek prayer meeting, don't have them anymore. And as a result, the power that these churches once had has drained away. Miracles no longer happen in their services. When was the last time you saw a miracle in your church? When was the last time you saw a miracle healing or a miracle deliverance in your church? Church members leave or they pass away with only a few members left to hang on, dwindling the size of the congregation until there's no one left to keep the doors open. So if the church does not pray, the church will fall prey to every plot, scheme, and device of the enemy. And instead of overcoming, she'll surrender to the world in defeat. Peter said it best. He said, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren, which are in the world. And so the church at Sardis was in danger of the judgment. And they were, they were in danger of missing out on their day of visitation. They were falling asleep just like the five foolish virgins did in Matthew chapter 25. And so that speaks to us today. We're called and commanded by Christ to watch and to pray so that we will not enter into a testing or into tribulation Amen. Something that we're not prepared for and so are not able to overcome. We, the church, must stand with Christ and his word and continue to stand against all the power of the devil. Prayer is so essential. It is the power plant of the church and the scriptures admonish us. Paul said this to the Ephesian church. And if if the Ephesian church had done this, they would not have left their first love. Paul said this. 
He says, wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine wherein is, wherein is excess, but constantly be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So a church that lives to pray will be a church that will rise up and be victorious. Amen. Now, I want to ask you a question. Are you staying and maintaining a spirit-filled life? If you're not, repent right now and begin to do that. Keep yourself in the Word of God. Keep yourself in prayer. Don't neglect these things. Meditate on them. Just like Paul in writing to Timothy, give yourselves wholly to them. Amen. Because not only will you save yourself, but you will save them that hear you. Amen. Father, we bless you. We thank you today. Lord, help us to take these words to heart. Amen. Learn from these churches, Lord, so that we may not know or commit sin against you. And we'll be ready when you come. Father, we're looking up. That's where our redemption is drawn nigh from. And Lord, we give you these things in glory and in praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you were to die today, that you would be prepared for heaven? If you're not sure, then I encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Father God, I come to you through your Son, Jesus Christ. I repent and ask you to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I surrender my heart and life to you. By faith, I believe I receive you as my Lord and Savior, and I thank you for receiving me in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed this prayer and desire to know more about the gift of Christ that the Heavenly Father offers you, then email us at rbtc86 at gmail.com. We will be glad to answer your questions promptly and provide you at your request with materials that will help you to grow in your faith in the Lord Jesus. This is Patsy Dunning. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. And let me remind you to tune in to this station at the same time next week to hear more of the wonderful words of life. God bless you and remember what Jesus said. It is the Spirit who gives life.